0: Welcome to another episode of The Real Estate of Things. I am Nate Tronfio with Lima One Capital, your host, and today we are in for a treat with a power couple, Tiffany and Josh High, both extremely experienced real estate entrepreneurs. Both of them also shed their corporate lives to help grow and start up uh, numerous businesses in, in real estate investing they not only fix and flip, they wholesale, they buy and hold rentals. They've been doing this for, for a number of years, doing 300 plus transactions. And they also are educators to uh, a community of experienced real estate investors as well. We're going to cover a ton of topics, start with how to grow and scale a business and fix and flipping, uh, then moving on to marketing, some sales, some onboarding, some acquisition, um, and a bunch of stuff in between. Also how you manage uh, your family and your business when you're uh, working with your spouse. So Let's hit to the episode now. You are in for a treat.
1: You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast.
0: We have a power duo and couple in the house, uh, powerful in what they do and who they are. And so I'm excited. Uh, Welcome, Tiffany and Josh, to the Real Estate of Things podcast.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: All right. Well, let's get cranking. Um, Something that I know both of you have done well, you've seen. Um, but I want to talk about scaling. So specifically in regards of fix and flipping, what do you see as sort of the most important parts of scaling a flipping operation?
2: Yeah. So I think our industry is really known for using this word scale, like really loosely. And so we're really big believers that you have to build, then stabilize and then scale. And I think a lot of people forget that you have to build and stabilize before you can throw fuel in the fire. Um, And so I think that's all stemming from gurus putting out these sexy clickbait titles saying scale, scale, scale. Um, But ultimately, the first thing we have to do is build the foundation. So we've got to build the foundational CRMs, the SOPs, the workflows, making sure our phone systems are going to make sure that we're the most productive that we can be, that we're diversifying outside of one to two marketing channels. And I know that stuff doesn't happen overnight, but ultimately we can't scale anything without that stuff in place. And then from there, once we build the foundation, then it's about stabilizing a team, because at the end of the day, you can't scale crap if you have no team to leverage. And I think that too often, you know, we were all one man shows, right? We all get started as a one man show. But too often we hear, you know, our one man show students say, I want to scale. And it's like, okay, well, in order to scale, we have to have the people in order to scale an operation. So let's focus next on stabilizing out a team, which means we have to recruit, we have to onboard properly, train, put in the infrastructure, the policies, et cetera. And then once we stabilize out a team, then that's when we go throw what I call fuel in the fire. And like at the snap of a finger, Josh and I can launch a new city tomorrow. All of our systems, our team, our leaders are duplicatable. So now that's true scalability. Can I go launch a new market? launch a new channel, do whatever, and within 48 hours have a live. And so I think we have to focus on building, stabilizing, then scaling. Um, and that's just my personal take on it whenever people ask me about scaling, so. Well, I, I,
3: you, you touched on something very important there and it's the people component. And unfortunately, a lot of people in our space, they get stuck in a one or two man show because they don't understand the the onboarding, the recruiting and finding the right person, putting them in the right seat and then truly equipping them And putting them in a position to be successful, and because of that, you see people they'll go and they'll hire three to five people, but it's it's short lived. You know they'll be on the staff for maybe four to six months, and then all come crashing back down. And now they're again stuck in this one to two man show, and fearful, unfortunately, fearful uh, of hiring someone else because of that bad experience. But um, it's a matter of making sure that we're building the right way. We know what components we need, like Tiff said, and. Uh, and then once we stabilize, then we can pour fuel on the fire.
0: Great points. And Tiffany, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it is such a buzzword in our real estate investor community. Um, rightfully so, but still I think it gets a lot of bad rap. And I, I'm very interested in this question too. So there's a lot of HETV specialists, a lot of people that just like and look at all the vanity numbers and things that are out there. And so like from a metrics perspective, what are some of the maybe the KPIs that aren't quite the vanity of how many doors do you have? How many deals did you close and transact on? Like So as you're going through this build, stabilize, and then, and then scale mentality, like what, do, what should you be focusing on maybe in the earlier stages of, of growing a company?
2: Yeah. So I think one thing that would really help folks really grow over the course of time is to focus on the return and not the cost. And too often, you know, I start every training of, Hey guys, if I told you, you can make a four to five X return on something, how much money would you spend? What do you think the answers are that I get?
0: Kajillion dollars.
2: Yeah. Well, no, a lot of times it's like 20 grand, 30 grand. It's like, why aren't you saying infinity? If someone said you were going to get a three, four or five X return, we should just be, the answer should be, I'm willing to spend whatever I can get my hands on to make this return on investment. And, um, there's a lot of KPIs that go into that, but I think first is the mindset around return versus cost. Once we can really get honed in and let go of our fears of not getting that return, then it changes the game for how we approach marketing channels and cost and all that. So from there, once we focus on return and not the cost and it's like, okay, what, what's the cash conversion cycle per marketing channel? And what that means is from when I spend a dollar today, when should I expect a return on investment? And too often in our industry specifically, and I'm not sure where it comes from, is we think that if we spend a dollar today, we're going to make money on that dollar this month. And that's far from the truth. So we do over 19 marketing channels in my office. And my average cash conversion cycle as a whole company is five and a half months. But it's nine plus months for cold calling. It's, I think, around 90 days for, say, PPC, which is the spread here, your hottest channels versus your outbound channels and even direct mail it's direct mail is our number one performing marketing channel for almost 2 years now and it has a 6 month cash conversion cycle for us which means that if i made the decision today to drop the next round of mails which i just did by the way paid a bill today for i don't know 50,000 pieces of mail on average um times 45 cents whatever that was and so when we do that you know the the first round of that mail doesn't even start going out to doorsteps for another week so a whole week got by where I spent the money, didn't get anything for it. Then I do eight hits in a month, which means I send it out Monday and Friday over four weeks for this specific mailer. So then the last mailer is not even going to hit the doorstep for probably six to seven more weeks. And then it takes 29 days from the time a direct mail league calls in to be- before we even put it in contract, let alone 30 days to wholesale it, 90 days to rehab it. And so the point I'm making here is there's a million KPIs to focus on. But as we're starting to scale and grow, one thing that we have to really hone in on is our cash conversion cycle by marketing channel. Because really right now what we're seeing is a lot of people are throwing money at a marketing channel, praying that it sticks. And then they, and then you say, hey, what is your goal right now? I wanna make a hundred grand a month. Okay, great, what are we spending? Why did we spend that? And when were you expecting the ROI? And too often it's like, I don't know, I just threw money at a channel. Okay, so let's break it down. And so from once we have our end goal in mind, we can reverse engineer every single marketing channel there is in real estate. We can use industry standard stats. So for example, what I mean by that is in mail, one of 42 call is a deal on average across the industry. Now, ours is one of 22, but we're exp- really experienced. So if I were starting mail for my first time ever, I would use one in 42 call is going to be a deal. That includes the no's, the yeses, et cetera, and then a half a percent response rate on your mail those two things can at least get you started. So if you woke up today and you're like, hey, I need four to five more deals a month, then you could say 40,000 mailers times 0.005 is 200 call-ins. 200 divided by 42 is four to five deals. And then after you get started and you start tracking your own metrics, then you really get honed into what actually works for your company. Um, And I know that was like a loaded question and I'm answering it a bunch of ways, but Um, ultimately I think that really on when should we expect a return on investment is the first thing that we need to hone in on because too often we spend money not knowing what the hell, why we're spending it, where we're spending it and when to expect a return on it.
3: Yeah. I mean, and another component to this is, you know, Tiff talked about the stabilization period. Uh, A big part of the stabilization is optimizing right? So understanding what are the metrics that we're looking at, like our leads per contract. You know, we also want to know what's our cost per contract. Well, I know my cost per contract and I know my average profit per deal. Now I know how much I I truly can go spend based on my desired ROI. Is it 3X, 4X, 5X that I'm looking for um, in order for me to truly say, hey, I'm I'm okay with uh, getting a cost per contract of $8,000 if I'm making 24 or 32,000 on the back end. Um, so once we understand those things, and then that also transitions into the sales team as well. Um, it's one thing to just track metrics, but it's another thing to know the story being told and identifying bottlenecks and truly optimizing the conversions on that side of things. You know, every marketing channel is going to generate opportunity. There's no such thing as truly a golden list or anything like that. You will get leads and people who want to sell, but it's um, it's up to you and your team's ability to convert on those leads and maximizing all of the time, energy, and resources that are going into the marketing efforts.
0: Man, I I um, I'm just cheesing over here just because uh the you know the sales leader and me, I mean y'all talk about so many good principles that are so found and as you say them quickly, it's it's like, oh, that all makes sense. It's a lot to do. Uh, in all those phases. I think it's funny that um we're in the people business from a number of realms. And that's one of the reasons I think why, you know, cash conversion cycle it just takes time where all people are end users are people. Um, but then you're also like, you know, you Tiff, you talked about shiny object syndrome. And definitely we all know that the reason why people want money tomorrow is just for instant gratification and our whole world is driving people towards that. Um, but it's it's just there's a, a lot involved in all of that. I think what I'm I'm really curious on, like, how do you weed out some of the noise and all these shiny objects and you know the instant gratification desires? Like, how do you stay focused on the right path and plan throughout all of this?
2: Couple things. One. I would say get a mentor that doesn't focus on the shiny objects. Cause I think a lot of this is driven by the person who's holding you accountable. So if you are in a community where you're being driven by someone who's having you chase all these things, just be careful because they're likely doing it to sell you more and more and more. Um, where like a good mentor will hold you accountable to staying on track to exactly what you have to hit and ignoring the noise. After that, I would say shut off all of your social media stuff. Um, (laughs) And I'm saying that and I, I hate to say that because ultimately, you know, I have my own education company and people find me through social media. But one of the big things that I did this year was I unfollowed the people who shove it in your face of like what the result is getting you because it always makes you feel like, oh, my God, I'm behind or am I doing what I should be doing? Why are they here? Why are they there? And I'm here and when i when I really cut the people off that put that stuff out there, it allowed me to just stay focused on what the end result is so like if you, for example, if you followed me, you probably would never even guess like that i we're doing millions of dollars and stuff. You don't see me pumping out Ferraris and fancy cars and all this stuff. I'm putting out what is working, what's not working, what's driving results, what do deals look like? Hopefully we're motivating to some degree um but I think that A couple of things are just like removing what's forcing you to chase things. And there's always going to be the next thing to chase online, right? Like now it's like out of nowhere, the last six to 12 months is it's sexy to wholesale and buy all these companies now instead of just wholesaling houses. Um, Instead of really, if you're in real estate and you're a wholesaler listening to this, or maybe you only buy rentals or whatever, I challenge that your next shiny object should just be diversifying your exit strategies. So if you're spending 50000 on marketing or whatever it is, 10000 it doesn't matter, and you aren't flipping houses and you're only wholesaling, well, then your next goal should be flipping houses because 50% of my deals are not a deal unless I flip them, which means that I'm maximizing my marketing dollars versus somebody else in my market who's not flipping their only wholesaling. If you're not taking down rentals or flipping a house, then there's you're walking away from seven figures hands down. Like the, it's just not it is a guarantee that you're walking away from at least multiple six figures in revenue because you're not maximizing your exit strategies. So I always tell my students that are especially wholesaling first, let's, when we say chase the next thing, it should be chasing the next exit strategy. How do we continue to hold more rentals, flip more houses and build that active income so that we can continue to hold more assets as rentals and stay focused on the end game? Because too often people chase Commercial, or they go down this other route, and they lose track of the stuff that was actually creating the wealth and the revenue for them in their future.
3: Yeah, that's well said. I think one thing uh, that's really important is um, you know just doing a lot of the same things repeated over and over and over again is really boring, especially in today's day and age. Um, but you know, one thing that's helped us is we're both ex-athletes. We both played um, collegiate sports, and uh, one thing about that experience is you know we as as entrepreneurs, we're no different than your most elite athletes. You know, what What does LeBron James do every single day? Well, he shows up, he watches game film, right? Nothing sexy about that. He shows up, he does free throws. He does dribbling drills. He does all of these fundamentals, which are not like anything sexy whatsoever, but he does the same things over and over again. You know, if, if I were to walk into the gym, first time ever in the gym, and I had an expectation of bench pressing 400 pounds, I would fail miserably. Right. And, and I could probably kill myself ultimately if I tried to, to put that on, on my chest. But, um, but the reality is we've got to show up every day. We've got to be disciplined. We've got to be focused and getting the reps in. And over time, we'll build that strength. We'll build that muscle and eventually reach that end goal. And it's no different in entrepreneurship. There's a process to it. It's, it's a science. If we do A, B and C, we're always going to end up getting D and it's, you know, uh, unfortunately we get bored uh, by those processes. And, uh, and and because we're bored of it, we go chase the next thing thinking that that's going to be the solve for us just not being fulfilled with that instant gratification. But it's this continuous cycle that we get stuck in until we actually make the decision to stay dedicated, stay focused, and do the boring things that are then going to lead us to the end result that we want.
0: You're showing why you guys have the, the training business called Results Driven. I think it's just clear that, that you can see this mentality. It reminds me a lot of Angela Duckworth's book, uh, Grit. you doing the small things over and over and over again to get to the big results. So it's awesome just not only to hear you, but I do follow you, Tiff, on social media. So I do see and I haven't seen the Ferraris or anything like that, but just <laughs> the real life. This is what we do. This is who we are. And the passion that you portray is is, uh, is it's it's just compelling and, and it's attractive. Uh, That's why people come to you all for advice. So I'd love to take a little step back, zoom out. Josh, you talked about uh, collegiate uh, careers in sports, which is pretty cool. I didn't know that. But uh, you both come from corporate background as well. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, high level that journey and then transitioning into being entrepreneurs?
3: Yeah. So um, I'll let Tiff talk a little bit about her journey. I'll talk a little bit about mine here. Um, So I got my degree in civil engineering. And uh, when you hear engineering and sales in the same sentence, you never hear that in the same sentence. Let's be honest. (laughs) But one thing that that really helped with is identifying processes, identifying bottlenecks, problems, and then coming up and and ultimately groomed me as a problem solver. Again, as entrepreneurs, that's really what we are. We are problem solvers, whether it's to our clients or even internally with processes, what's broken, how do we fix it, right? Um, So when I graduated from school, I went into construction management. And when we first started our flipping business, I thought, oh, I'm in construction. I can manage the crews, thinking that this was a rehab business or construction business. No, not at all. This is a sales and marketing business. Luckily, Tiff um, is is naturally a marketing genius. I just had to go figure out the sales side of things. And what I fell in love with was the psychology behind it. Right, being a a science major in engineering, I loved science. Um, so I fell in love with psychology, and then really started diving into that. Learned a lot about sales sales psychology and uh, essentially some persuasion techniques and stuff like that. And um, and it really moved the needle for us. Again, once we identified that you know, any and all marketing channels are going to generate opportunity, it's on our ability to convert those. That's when I really geeked out and put processes behind that that allowed us to get the onboarding that we have in place today that allowed us to build a high-performing team that is is very lean and very mean um, and has allowed us to magnify our results. What, yeah, what about yeah. you? Tiff comes from a little bit of a different corporate background, but it's a, it's a great one to say the, to say the least.
2: Um, so I spent at least 10 or 12 years in corporate space. I moved all over the country. Um, I was the head of North American oil trading at one company. And then I moved over to Owens Corning global and oversaw all of our asphalt plants that sold asphalt into all of our competitor shingles like GAF and certainty and all that. Um, and one thing that really hurt me the first two years, actually, when I came into here was I was in a couple of masterminds and, you know, I just listen to whatever I'm told. So I was told to scale a team up, right? I hired all these salespeople, throw them a script. I had no onboarding, no management infrastructure, no HR policies, like everything you could imagine me failing on building the company out the first time I did. And, you know, a lot of people ask us, like, why did you start education in general? Because our real estate side is a decent sized company. Like, why do I even need the education side? And what happened was when I came back, I ended, I ended up crashing. I built it up for two years. I walked into my office one day and literally built something that I hated. I had all these salespeople. No one was following a process. It was people owned me. I didn't own the business. Um, long story short, I don't want to get into it because I'll get emotional. But um, I ended up having to let go of three-fourths of my staff in one day and rebuild the company from the ground up. And at that time, when I say build it from the ground up, I said, screw everything that I was taught. I brought in a mentor who built um, five or six multi million dollar phone sales companies and not in real estate. And they really took us back to our corporate infrastructure that we're used to. We're used to HR policies and onboardings and one on ones and PIPs and call audits and team outings and all this stuff that ultimately building culture, camaraderie, energy. And, um, and I think that that's really lacking on in our industry. So when we started education, we said, man, we've got to turn all of these fly by night operations into a sustainable organization. Like someone needs to bring corporate training to our industry. And that's really how it came about. And, and I, if I wouldn't have had my corporate background, I would never be where we're at today. I don't think, um, because at the end of the day, like our industry for the most part is pretty young and you just don't know what you don't know, right? Like if you've never managed people or built sales teams or anything, like how are you going to know without getting the right mentorship? Um, And so I'm just a big believer that one, if you didn't come from a past corporate career where you were used to having all that infrastructure, like the, the reality is you won't make it very long if you don't get figure out how to get that level of infrastructure into your organization.
3: Well, I think another another thing that leads to this is everybody out there will teach you how to do the deal. They'll teach you how to be the transaction coordinator, the dispo person, but nobody is teaching people how to go and find, uh, recruit, hire, train, and manage people to be just as good, if not better than they are. Um, and that's that's really going to hold people back when it comes to truly magnifying their results through building a team.
0: Couldn't agree with you more. And, and uh, another then leads me to another question that I'm sure both of you have some uh, good perspective on. So in that, there's this difference between managing and leading. What is the difference from your opinion?
3: Yeah, that's, this is a great question. Uh, it's a topic that I talk a lot about too. So managers are focused on the duplicable, repeatable results, like managing KPIs, optimizing conversions. Uh, uh, yeah, That's what we were talking about earlier in the stabilization phase, right? So if I know that it, it takes me one of five offers to land a deal, how can we make it three? Right? That's what managers are focused on, the KPI side of things. But then leaders are focused on growing people. They, they create environments that are conducive for growth through building culture. Um, they are focused on you know pushing people past their limits that they thought that they would never even be able to break. So for example, um, we have a guy on our team who's been getting fourteen deals a month. One of our acquisition reps. Uh, if you would ask him a year ago, hey, could you ever see yourself getting fourteen deals a month consistently? In his mind, he might have told you. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I just never have, and I haven't really seen that before. So there's that. It's almost the same concept of running the four minute mile, um, where nobody could break it, but then all of a sudden, w- once the first person broke it, all of a sudden everyone had that belief internally that they could do it too, and then now all of a sudden everyone's doing it. Um, well, not everyone, but there's a lot of people doing it. And uh, so, anyways, my point here is, is is we were able to take that individual, even though he may have thought he was capped out at nine or ten deals consistently a month, and we continuously push him. Uh, into this. We've created a vacuum, a void essentially, that allows him to grow into. Um, and that's essentially what leaders do is we push people past their, past their limits. We continue to focus on growing them and their skill sets so that we can groom them into other positions and groom them uh, with their career or their personal goals, stuff like that over time.
2: Yeah. I think the big thing, especially when we're talking about growing and scaling and all this, is that in order to get here, Like somewhere you've never been, you have to become the leader that it takes to get it. And I think that people forget that they can just wake up and like have this dream outcome without becoming the person that it takes to even get that outcome. And John C. Maxwell talks about the law of the lid. And so out of the level 10 leader, let's just say you're a level four leader right now. Your organization will never get past level four because you're its highest cap. So in order to get a level eight or level 10 organization, you have to become a level eight or level 10 leader. And ultimately, our industry specific, well, I should say more in the wholesaling space more than anything, is it is what it is. It's a really young space. And a lot of people have just never led people before. So to come into the space and think that you can grow an entire organization that's consistently performing without getting trained on your leadership capabilities is likely not going to happen. Like, I don't know if you've been in any leadership trainings, but I didn't wake up either in corporate and just like get one training and become a leader. I can go to a workshop. I can go to trainings, but it takes work. It takes constant training, constant practice. We're going to fail forward as a leader. We all make people mistakes. But I will tell you that owning a company is your number one expensive mistakes you're going to have are in HR. So if you don't handle people, performance, management, leadership, culture building and all that, right? You'll either have high turnover, expensive mistakes, lose good people, drive the right people out. Um and so I think that ultimately our industry doesn't talk enough about how HR is probably one of the most critical pieces of running this operation.
0: You hit it right there. Like like I said earlier, not to be too repetitive, but we are in the people business. And, um, you know, they, they say the cost of a bad hire is worth what one to two times their salary. And then, but it goes way beyond that. Right. Um, and so it's interesting, um, you talk about the 10 levels of leadership. I always just say, I'm a continued student of leadership. (laughs) I think we all are, because you know, Tiff, you make that, that's such a good point. Like you can't just read an article, read a book, watch a video, go through seminars, and say that, you, you know, you're a profound leader. And a lot of times you get stuck in that management trap, Josh, as, as, as you said as well. So it's really cool to hear your perspective, not only from what you advise on, but your experience, you know, uh, learning through fire and failure. It's, it's, it's a given. It's something we have to, we have to experience. So w- what are some other falsities or falsehoods that, you know, somebody who's growing and wanting to get to the level that, that you two are at, what are some of the other false expectations that you typically f- see people having? I mean, I'm sure you see a lot of it in in your coaching business too.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it's driven again from headlines in our industry, but a lot of people think that you can wake up and be like a multi-million dollar organization within a year. And um and I get it. Like we we went from literally joining real estate maxing out a credit card years ago to doing 40 deals my first year doing 165 deals my second 300 plus by year three and on and what did that take though I don't think people talk, think about the sacrifice that was made in that, those years because for three years although we were doing millions of dollars in revenue everything that I was pretty much making was being invested back into the company and I barely paid myself for years like actually I don't even know if I paid myself the first two years I literally lived on my mother-in-law's couch um, not and, to mention
3: the time and yeah, just and,
2: the sixteen-hour days, seven mm-hmm. days a week that it took to even get to where we're at. And if people think that that it's not going to take that, they're crazy. The only way that it's not going to take that, in my personal opinion, is if you came into the business with a ton of cash saved, where you know and understand that hiring from the top down versus the bottom up is way easier to do. Obviously, bringing in your your leadership first, but not everyone can do that. Uh, And 99% of people can't do that in the beginning. So it's not realistic. Um, and so I think ultimately it's about understanding that this is a process. It's a journey and you either love the process and the journey or you don't. And I, and I just believe that ultimately I'm a big believer in stability. I don't, you'll never see me putting lines out there, like quit your job, all this other stuff. I think it's all bull crap. I think that you can build wealth and, work somewhere that you love. I think that they can be combined. And um, and I think ultimately we just need to focus on the process. So I guess in a short, my answer to that is focus on the process and the journey and not that it's going to happen fast because it's not. And whoever's selling you on it is wrong and it's not going to happen. So
3: I think one thing that you were getting to um, was that it's not for everyone. and It's not meant to be for everyone. And if it's not for you, that's okay. There's plenty of positions, like Tiff said, where you can go and build wealth with real estate. Um, while having a a career, but it truly takes sacrifice. Um, You know, for three years, like Tiff said, we were working seven days a week and, you know, we didn't go to bachelor or bachelorette parties. We skipped out on family events because we had to focus on the business because we were growing this thing. Um, And I think a lot of people underestimate what that looks like. In, In fact, people come in, they're like, yeah, I'll work nine to five and become a millionaire. It's not the way it works. Not the way it works at all.
0: No, it's, it's it's very true. Can can you can you both elaborate a little bit more again, just because I'm I'm so intrigued. You you see a lot of people through your coaching business, so like what are some of the other common mistakes that that operators are running into or wanna be operators?
2: I don't know if it's a mistake rather than a fear. Like the fear of failing, the fear of the unknown, the fear of will this channel perform if I drop twenty thousand dollars m- a month on it? Will this person leave me if I've never been a leader before? Do I even know how to make someone a W-2 versus a 1099? Cause I don't know the process. Um, am I willing to pay a base for a salesperson because I'm, I'm scared that they'll fail me. So I'm just going to throw them on commission only, which drives commission breath. Um, there's just, there's a lot of what I call fears rather than mistakes. And in the beginning, it's about teaching them the process so that they can let go of the fear. I think a lot of fears stem from just not knowing what you don't know. And once you get trained and understand the process of recruiting, the process of onboarding, the process of the paperwork that someone should sign on day one, the process of day one, two, three, four, and five on onboarding, what happens every hour? How do you manage it? How do you plug in these scorecards? How do you do all that? Then it's like, oh, okay, now it all comes together and makes holistic sense. But if you're just trying to figure this out on your own, A lot of times people are driven by the fear of the unknown. And so they're just hustling and grinding to get the next deal versus investing into themselves and the infrastructure on building a sustainable organization. So I don't know if it's necessarily mistakes. It's Any mistake is just typically being driven from a fear of getting trained the right way, a fear of investing into yourself, essentially.
0: I like it. Good, good there. And Josh, you, let's go a little deeper into, um, we've been talking about building teams, but it's so important, first impressions and bringing people on for you know when onboarding. So talk to us about how you run onboarding and some of the infrastructure that you need in order to support that.
3: Yeah, no, a great, great question. So one thing that's really important to recognize, and one of the limiting beliefs, we call them limiting beliefs, that we see a lot of people have in our industry is thinking that Salespeople are naturally born, or they're not. Meaning, when you walk in the door, you you were either born a salesperson or you were not born a salesperson. That we 100% disagree with, and it all stems from uh, just not recognizing that sales is a skill set. Going back to that um, that fitness. Comparison that I brought up earlier, if I walked into the gym and wanted to bench press 400 pounds on day one, it probably wouldn't happen. It's no different in sales. In fact, I'm an engineer, right? My degree is in civil engineering and I should have never been in sales. But because I geeked out on sales tactics, sales fundamentals, psychology, I was able to create a process that I can then go and teach to other people and equip them with the skill sets required in order to have, you know, create high performing uh, team members. So some of the things that we focus on in onboarding is. First and foremost, what we look for, let's talk about before they even come in for onboarding. What does the ideal team player even look like? Going back to what I just said, you don't have to have any sales experience whatsoever. I can teach you everything you need to learn about sales in order to be a top performer. But you have to be an ideal team player. And we look for three things. First and foremost, are you a core value fit? Secondly, are you coachable? Because I can teach you everything, but if you're not able to go and actually implement what I'm teaching you, what's it even matter, right? And then third, you have to be growth oriented, meaning that you're, you are striving to be the best version of yourself every single day. If you have those three characteristics, then you are our ideal team player. And then that's when we'll bring you on the team. And now we'll go through onboarding In onboarding. Some of the things that we'll talk about will be like our ideal customer profile. What are the types of people? What are the types of situations that we as cash buyers buying off market at a steep discount? Like what, what can we actually help with, right? What value do we bring to the table? And let's identify what those situations are. Now, once we know those situations, uh, we've built that into a qualification process. So then we teach the qualification process and and identifying is this person is this person worth our time or are they not? Um there was someone, I forget who it was, told me, you know, we're not in the business of turning water into gold. And if you think of the gold rush of 1849 when everyone rushed out west, uh, even to this day, nobody's found out how to take water from those rivers and turn it into gold. Instead, what they did is they would take shovels, they'd take sifters and they would, you know, take some sand, put it in the sifter and they would look for the gold nuggets. Well, that's what we have to do as salespeople as well. We can't go and take an unqualified opportunity and force it into a sale. That's just not how it works. But we have to have a qualification process that allows us to sift through all the non-opportunities to find the gold nuggets and spend our time with those gold nuggets. Now, once we understand our qualification process, Now let's go and teach the sales psychology, right? What is our prospect thinking on the other end of the phone in our conversation? Why is it that they give us these objections? How can we objection block versus uh, objection handling? All of these things are built into our psychology. Now, once we understand the psychology, when we go and teach the scripts, now I can teach the why behind everything that we're saying. And that's how you're going to get your team to buy into the specific behaviors that it's going to take to be successful. Because if I were to just hand you a script and say, hey, Nate, go read this because I said so, well, chances are you're not going to buy into that process just because I said so, right? But if I'm able to teach you, hey, here's all of the psychology behind it, and this is how it ties into our qualification process, and that's how it ties into our ideal customer profile, now all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and you're like, okay, I get it. Now I know why why we're doing this, and I actually want to go do it. Um, so that's really the the fundamentals of the sales component. Now, one thing that we do that I don't know if anyone else does is we actually teach on components of a house. And uh, there's this bad stigma in the industry where these wholesalers send out a deal, it's falling over or burnt to a crisp. And they say, it only needs $10,000 in repairs, right? Uh, this house is going to sell quick. And, and unfortunately, too many people are unrealistic with their repair estimates in the front end underwriting process. And this leads to a number of things. This leads to um, prices be, or wholesalers pricing properties at prices way too high. It leads to deals dying. And ultimately um, this leads to a lot of frustration in the acquisitions team, a lot of frustration to the business owner, a lot of frustration to the dispo department. And it's a recipe for disaster. So what we've done with our rehabbing background is we've been able to create a training for everyone that comes into our organization to teach them all the major components of a house. What a, what a roof is, what the life cycles of a roof is what a furnace is or an air conditioning unit, the life cycles of those. And at what points are we going to account for replacement? And then on top of that, how do we go put together an accurate line item repair estimate based on the information that we got on the phone? Um, And that's allowed us to really maintain a 70% success rate or higher um, while we do wholesales and fix and flips, it's a pretty high success rate across the country, uh, with the people that, that we've worked with and the things that we see in our coaching business. Um, and it, and it all boils down to knowing and understanding those components of a house. So when you couple all that together, you're truly equipping them, uh, to be an expert in their field, sharp as a tech and, uh, enthusiastic as hell.
0: It's great feedback. And it's a lot, that's a lot, right? What you just went through is a lot and uh, I'm sure it's evolved over time. You bring both of you, some of your corporate background and, uh, a lot of this is iterative. We're, we're very lucky on our sales team to have uh, two dedicated trainers to help get people spun up. I think that's also just one of the reasons why people get so attracted to just real estate invest. There's so much to learn. So therefore, there's so much to teach, which means there's a lot that you could learn in the wrong way, format. In fashion and and it's just interesting how you sort of make sure, just like building a house, you're starting from the foundation up and getting people to see the why and what the end product looks like. So uh really really cool and really unique there. I think the last topic I want to touch on with you, um, you, you talked both about sacrifices and getting to where you're at. Being married but not working with my spouse. I wanna just ask this question. So What are some of the difficulties and sacrifices that you deal with running a great business, but uh, assuming also running a great household as well?
2: So, I mean, that's evolved over time of like what our sacrifice is. And so like what was our sacrifice five years ago is very different than today. So today I have a child. I didn't have a child when I started the company. Um, And so it's changed, obviously, my perspective on life and my time and all that. If I didn't have a child, I'd probably still be grinding it out 20 hours a day because that's who I am. Um, But I've made a point that after five o'clock to eight o'clock, like that is my time with Sailor. And we have just made an agreement between us because it is what it is. If people think that this is like we're working four hours a day, you're wrong. Um, So Josh, we have an agreement that he will, when needed, work extra hours because I'm going to be home and present with Sailor in the evenings. Um, and we just have like our time blocks with our child, which obviously there's so many hours in a week where we have to time block our company, our own selves, our child. And so one thing that we've done this year, that's really helped us is we hired a life coach slash therapist, whatever you want to call her. And she's been a life changing experience for me. Um, so what we do is I work with her separately. Josh will work with her separately sometimes, and then we'll have some things together And it's just about being proactive versus being reactive because the business, I mean, this isn't our only company. We have more companies and some launching. And so it's easy to get caught up in like going to dinner and talking about business versus each other. But the reality is it's our passion. So like people are like, is that all you talk about? We're like, yeah, because we love it. Why wouldn't we talk about it? We love what we do. And, um, but I will say one thing that she's really helped us with is, She gives me these exercises to ask certain questions on dates and do things to spur us separating work from our personal life. And it gets us laughing, crying, telling stories, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, we're definitely not perfect. I don't really believe in a work-life balance. And honestly, we've learned how to collide them. And for example, at every event that I go speak at, like if someone asks me to speak at an event, you either have to fly sailor with me or I'm not speaking at your event. Oh, cool. So it's just things like that, that like I've learned over time what means something and what doesn't. And I've learned how to say no to a lot of things. Um, and at the end of the day, like nothing is more fulfilling to me than working with Josh. Like I come home, I come to work every day and get to work with the person I love the most in my life. Now, do we butt heads? Yes, we do. And <laughs> we have a whole process to that, too. <laughs> um, so we have what we call the level 10, and um which we haven't had one in a while we Should probably have one, um, but we have say that, a while
3: you're talking like it's yes, two weeks it's yeah, yeah. not that's not, <laughs> not a while, but
2: no, so essentially, what we do is we'll have a level 10 with just me and him. It's where we give each other permission to hold each other accountable to goals, metrics, numbers, which a lot of couples I think would straight argue, which don't get me wrong, we definitely get very heated in those conversations. But it's a handshake agreement that when we walk out of the door, it's left at the door. And um, and I think that that kind of stuff between being proactive about how to stay on top of our marriage, making time for our child and having these effective level tens and all that, we use these tools and resources to like manage our ability to have conflict and it'd be healthy conflict.
3: Yeah, I think I think where a lot of people get hung up as far as working and being in an entrepreneur with a significant other who's also a partner in the business um, is if they try to pull that person in. So let's just say I started the business and then, you know, Tiff's doing her own thing. She's got her corporate career. And then I say, Hey, Tiff, you need to join the team. You need to join the team. And I pull her in as a partner. Um, A lot of times what I see is people convince their significant other to join the team because it's in the best interest of the family, but or the household or even the business. But unfortunately, uh, most of the times, Tiff in that scenario may not be as passionate about it as I am. And if she's not as passionate about it as I am, then we're just setting ourselves up for failure. Now the the key component with both of us is we both are extremely passionate about what we do and we love what we do and we wouldn't trade it for the world. So it works really well. Um, but another component to this as well is um, shoot, I lost my train of thought, but hold on. I think
2: the big thing is just trying not to change the person you're with, right? Yes. Like, sure. like Josh I am kind of crazy, not going to lie. Like, I am a genius when it comes (laughs) to marketing. My brain's all over the place. I'm like 100 miles an hour. Anyone that comes to any of my trainings, I talk 100 miles an hour. And over the however many years I've owned a company, I have crazy big ideas all the time. I am your true definition of an extreme visionary. And Josh has never tried to change me. He's never tried to slow me down, hold me back, turn down my ideas. He never shuts me down um and if anything he's very encouraging of things that he knows that I'm likely going to fail at and because of that i always know that he's going to have my back no matter if i fail at some crazy idea or not and i think that that's what's important i think that no matter if your business partners are not like just don't change the person let them be who they are
3: so i remember what i was going to say now <laughs> and it's it's very important i don't know how i lost it but anyways Um, one thing that's really helped us too is knowing and understanding where this, where the, our significant other is coming from. Like in those level tens, if Tiff's getting on me because I didn't live up to a commitment that I made, I have to first recognize and understand that she is doing this because she wants what's best from me. She wants what's best for the organization. Right. And it's not like she's putting me down and saying, I can't do this or anything like that. She's, she's trying to build me up and make me stronger. And same goes for me to her. If I get on her because she didn't live up to a commitment that she made, it's because I want what's best for her. It's because I want what's best for the organization. Um, So we are collectively working together to make each other bigger, faster, and stronger. And when we know and understand that going into any and all conversations, whether it's an argument or not, knowing that we want what's best for each other and what's best for the entire team is what truly allows us to have those open and honest conversations that may not be as easy.
0: It's impressive to hear how you... Talk about managing not only the the work side but the personal side. Uh, big believer in level tens. hadn't heard of it uh, bringing it home to the household, but uh, that's <laughs> that's an interesting one to add on on my list. And I think Tiff, um, the the work life balance topic is a tough one. I'm a big believer in sort of everybody creates their own definitions of what's work versus life because I can very much relate. To me, they meld together. Yep. You know, a lot of my life is work. A lot of my work is life. And I'm fine with that. But we each own that. And then I think Josh just sort of respecting who each other are and allowing for one another to, to be themselves. Um, and also all of that driven with sort of this mutual respect and uh, desire for you know, success in personal and in work realms. I think it's uh, it's pretty cool to to hear sort of some of the reasons how you you run in a great successful household and certainly um, the business or businesses. And that's where I want to actually very much end. Um, can, before we say bye bye, um, you reference multiple businesses, so let's make sure we get those out uh in the wild here and in any way that that our our listeners can reach you
2: yeah um, so we have obviously our real estate side. we have a rental portfolio. we wholesale and flip houses. we have an education company where we work with experienced investors to build out their teams. We don't work with newbies today, and then we have a couple other par- uh, companies where we're more silent funding partners in um and then we are in the midst, mix or in the midst of uh of starting another pretty big company, what we think will be probably one of our biggest ones yet. Um, I can't say anything yet. We're under confidentialities, but um, it'll definitely complement the real estate industry. But it'll be for all industries, and I'm pretty excited about it. I think it's a needs everyone needs. It's not just real estate focused. Um, but ultimately, man, I uh, I wish I could tell you it sounds sexy that we own companies and that we're launching them. But that's really not what matters the most. Um, at the end of the day, like unlike every like everyone listening to this podcast, I'm sure you're listening to it on how to gain more knowledge around real estate, build more freedom, build more wealth. And for me, the definition of building wealth and financial freedom is very different today than what it was five years ago. And what freedom means to me doesn't necessarily mean financial anymore. Freedom to me is really just being present with my child. And I think I've realized as I've grown as an entrepreneur that sometimes they don't always go hand in hand. It's not always like more money equals more time. Now we can definitely get there, right? We can build C suite executives and all this, but I just encourage everyone to really focus on what really is the vision. Because a lot of times we get students that come in and they're like, I go, what's your goal? I want to make 100 grand a month. Well, why? What's the 100 grand a month going to do for you? And we always do this exercise where we have everyone write down and they never can get to 300, but I, this is what my mentor did for me. And he said, write down 300 things you dream about your daily lifestyle. Like, for example, one of mine was, I was very poor growing up. So we didn't have Christmas trees. So I said, I have always wanted to have every room, have its own like theme Christmas tree someday. And that was expensive. So I did that three years ago and I have a stager come in and do my whole house. And, you know, it's things like that, that we lose sight of, like, what is the money for? Like, what's the point of the money if we're not using it to be present with our families and give and build wealth long term? And so that's really changed my focus over time is um, being focused on the right things and not just more money, but things that truly bring me my time back. And so our mission of our education company, um, especially after going through that crash and almost losing my life, was I want to give people the tools and resources and infrastructure that it takes to actually get your time back. Because if you think that you're going to continue to hire people, wear more hats, do all the marketing, do the books, do this, do that, do this, you'll never actually get your time back. And so the only way we gain it back is by building other people, by building leaders in your organization, by building people that can go build the processes for you, things like that. Um, And so I don't know, I just I've changed my philosophy on, you know, where we're at in our life. And so I don't want to be on here being like, oh, I have all these companies because that's really not what's sexy to me. What's sexy is the fact I just took the last five days and didn't do a damn thing. And we had the biggest month in our company history. That part is really what investing into your team infrastructure will do for you long
1: term.
0: Awesome. Well, you, you covered on uh, from where we started, just how to scale and grow, but not only professionally, but personally. And uh, appreciate you sharing and both of you being vulnerable throughout this. And um, look, we uh, excited to hear about the new business. Uh, I'm sure it's going to crush just as much as your existing ones have. And we just appreciate all the value you've given here and continue to give to real estate investors across the country. So thank you, Josh. Thank you, Tiffany. Uh, That's a wrap for the real estate of things.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks again to Tiff and Josh. Hi. What an awesome episode and appreciate you sharing so much with our listenership. Listeners, make sure you subscribe. We drop new, fresh uh, episodes every Tuesday. So do not miss out. You can always find us in all things about Real Estate of Things on our website, www.realestateofthings.co. We will catch you next week with another great episode.
1: Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry bar none. Construction, rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common-sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team, and that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out limaone.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best, while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.